Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time... Even if his father had lived, I think I still would have worked this hard because I think it's important, first of all, for me to have my own identity. I feel like I have a calling and a purpose in the work that I do, but I also think it's good for a boy to see his mother go to work. Coming up, resilience in life and the workplace. So you know this show is usually built around a particular theme, and I find guests who can speak to that theme. But sometimes I'll do the reverse. I'll meet someone or hear someone speak at an event, and she's so compelling, I want to build a show just around her. That was the case with Dana Kennedy. I heard Dana speak earlier this spring at an event for women journalists. She gave a great talk where she imparted some of her hard-won wisdom about careers and how to stick it out in the workplace over time. She's had more ups and downs in her life than most of us have probably had. She was the first person in her family to go to college. She realized her dream of becoming a journalist. She spent years at a top newspaper, the New York Times, She also lost her fiancé in Iraq in 2006. Their baby son was just six months old. She wrote about her fiancé, First Sergeant Charles Monroe King, and that searing loss in a book called A Journal for Jordan. That's their son's name. She wrote to process her grief and to have a memoir for Jordan to read when he was older. That book is now being made into a movie with Denzel Washington slated to direct – Her son is 12 years old, and Dana left her job at the New York Times last year to become the administrator of the prestigious Pulitzer Prizes. We met in her office soon after this year's winners were announced. I'm the first woman, the first person of color, and the youngest person in the history of the Pulitzers to be in in this role. The Pulitzers have been around for 102 years. So for more than a century, it's always been run by older white men. We just announced the winners last Monday. That's the first time that's ever been done by a woman or a person of color. So that feels kind of cool. This was her first free-ish week after weeks spent reading and judging all the entries. I started by asking her about something she'd said when I'd first heard her speak at that event back in March. One thing that struck me close to the beginning of your talk, Mm -hmm. you said... You have to empower yourself. Absolutely. You will be underestimated and misunderstood. It's not personal. Do it anyway. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that there are going to be challenges in, in any life and in any career, whether they're personal or professional. And it takes a while to do this, but you have to be comfortable rolling with the punches. You know, when something comes at you, uh, you have to you have to find the wherewithal to respond to it whether it's getting passed over for a promotion or a personal tragedy like I had in my life. And so it's really important to find the fortitude not only to endure it, but also to get back to a place of comfort and joy eventually. It's not an easy thing to do. 
And it's easy for me to say that because I'm right now in a relatively good place in my life. But having overcome those things, when you're in the middle of them, it feels horrible, just horrible. But um, you have to, you have no other choice but to figure out what is my support system? Uh, what do I need to get through this? Who are my advocates? What can I do to empower myself? And what don't I have any control of? And once you figure all that out, it, it'll empower you to act in a way that helps you with your circumstances. But the number one thing uh, to realize when you're trying to empower yourself is that things that seem overwhelming and like they're never going to end, I promise you they will. Life is cyclical. And when you feel stuck, you're really not. You may be stuck in the moment, but things change. She says you need good people around you all the time. People who can bolster you or offer counsel and advice during your worst times, as well as the better ones. She'd only been back at work after maternity leave for two weeks when Charles was killed. Ugh. Uh, it's still, after all this time, really hard to talk about. But um, he... He was, he was, he was blown up um, in a Humvee with one month left to go before his tour of duty was over. Everybody, so that's a whole different kind of having a village than in your normal course of your life. I mean, anybody who was willing to reach out to me, I would accept that because I needed all the help, you know, I could get. I had a six-month-old baby, and my life had just taken this horrible turn. So, but on, in a general sense, your community your village, if you will, are the people who you know you can count on. In my case, there are some reporters. We started out as young reporters together and grew up, you know, at the paper together, and we're still in touch, and we we supported each other. Other folks who were women who had maybe been foreign correspondents or done some work that I really admired became part of my village. Um, My sister, um, you know, you just, you have to have that. You have to have a group of people that you can rely on. Nobody can do this alone. Dana grew up in a big family in Mississippi, the eldest of five kids. Your dad was in the army mm-hmm. and your mum was a homemaker, right? So how do you how did you get into journalism? I've been writing since I was 12 years old. I um, believe very deeply that God just gave me this talent and for writing and that I was supposed to do, you know, just what I'm doing with it and and I, I, I can't even tell you, by God's grace, I've been able to build a career as a writer, as a journalist, and now advocating for journalists through my role heading the Pulitzer Prize organization. And so it's just something that's always been a part of me. And my teachers in junior high and high school saw that I had an interest in reading and writing and in English, and they you know, really sort of encouraged me to pursue that as a career, and, and I did. She has always loved her work even when the people around her sometimes made things difficult. But she was so determined to succeed, she didn't let them get her down. She says try not to focus on the negative stuff, whatever it is. She's had her share of weird situations and offensive comments, and she'll talk about that more in a minute. But at the end of the day, she believes... Excellence trumps everything. If you are all about the work and, 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 and you are really producing at a high level, you will get noticed. You know, I am a black woman who came to New York in a newsroom that was overwhelmingly white, one of the most competitive newsrooms in the world, if not the most competitive, and I was able to rise, you know, to the to the top there. So really, anybody can do it by having a, a strong work ethic, really doing excellent, excellent work over time and building goodwill. And, and then once that happens, that's the foundation for everything else. 
You can't really complain. You can't really achieve. You can't really expect to be promoted until you've done the work consistently for years. That, that, like there are no shortcuts to that. That said, she says there's no getting away from the fact it may take you longer to get where you want to go. Especially if you're a woman, and if you're a woman of color, it may take twice as long. And that is so painful and so incredibly frustrating, but you can never show it. That doesn't mean, you know, don't stand up for yourself. I'm not advocating that at all. But what I'm saying is you have to go in with a positive attitude every day and say, what can I accomplish today? I wondered if it took her longer. Oh, gosh, yes. No question about it. Absolutely. It took me longer to get there, and then it took me longer, I think, to achieve the things I wanted to achieve when I, when I was there. Yes, absolutely. But so what? Now I'm running the Pulitzer Prizes, and I wrote a book, and it's going to be a movie, and I accomplished a lot at the times. So what? I heard her say that a few times during our conversation. Yes, she hit roadblocks. But overall, she's delighted about where she's been and where she is now. And she was overlooked at times quite literally, at least once. I asked if she could share an anecdote. Well, gosh, there are so many of them. I wouldn't know where, where to, what to choose, um, whether it's being in the headquarters of a Fortune 100 company, um, waiting for the CEO, and I'm the only one in the lobby, and the receptionist came out three times looking for the New York Times reporter and walked back into the office because she literally didn't see me. She literally thought this cannot be her. And she walked out the third time, and finally I said, this poor woman's going to wear herself out unless I stand up and say, I think I'm who you're looking for. So whether it's something like that that, you know, is a, is a, a, little, a little thing, or, you know, people have made comments that are inappropriate, and sometimes I've, I've, I've addressed them and sometimes I've just let them go. Honestly, you know, it, it depends on your mood of the day, who it is that says it, if you have the energy, if you're tired, you know. Or how big a deal it is. Um, and I don't think I would want to really reveal too many specifics, but there have been some really bad, painful moments. And in some cases, it involved going into the office of somebody really senior uh, and saying, you know, we have to deal with this. And other times I thought, all right, I'm just going to file that away as a mental note about, you know, something someone said. Keep it in mind, but not really react. And that's the other thing. Give, no matter what you're feeling, you can always give yourself time to react. You don't have to react in the moment. You can walk away. You can call someone and get advice. You can wait until you calm down. Or you can react in the moment. But if you do react in the moment, make sure you're able to do it in a calm, professional way. And that is easier said than done. But Dana says it's vital because otherwise the situation can backfire on you. One thing I always say, and I saw somebody really have a meltdown in the newsroom once, is that you can start out right and end wrong, meaning something can happen to you where you're the victim, but based on how you handle it, all people might remember is how you inappropriately handled something. So even when something happens to you, you have to handle it in a way where you maintain the high ground. She told me a cautionary tale from her years in the newsroom. There was a male reporter who was known for yelling at people so much that I think his nose bled one time. He was yelling at somebody so loud. And he was just known for this, but because he was a superstar, they let him get away with it for a while, for years, in fact. And a very junior-level editor was editing him. He was on the phone in, in one of our bureaus at the time. And he just, whatever he said to her, which was inappropriate, set her off, and she was screaming and shaking at the top of her lungs in the newsroom. The entire newsroom stopped and watched this. Nobody to this day remembers what he did or said. 
they remember her reaction. And so that's an example of starting out right and ending wrong. And she ended up reprimanded just as he was when she didn't have to put herself in that position. When something is painful, walk away, go to the bathroom and have a cry if you want to, whatever it takes, but never lose the high ground. Never lose your sense of self and professionalism because particularly when you're a woman and a woman of color in my case, people will remember that. Yeah, you talked about emotions and handling emotions at the office and you said, look, there's nothing wrong with crying That's at right. work. I, uh, in my last role at the New York Times, I was... Um, I had a senior role in personnel, and so people would come to me for career advice all the time, and I taught management training. And I would, I would say without, without exaggeration, I probably in the last four years there had 50 people cry in my office. And uh, luckily, the, my office was situated so that their back was to the door. Nobody could see, and I always had tissues, and I always had candy. <laughs> but I used to say to people, and I mean this sincerely, and I say to my son, crying is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of pain. Um, and can be very cleansing. However, when you are a woman in the workplace, there are all kinds of negative connotations um, to crying. And so I would say don't do it. If you can avoid it, go to the bathroom and have a good cry. Not publicly if you if you can avoid it. But if you can't, so what? You know, live with it. Don't Don't put too much weight on that. But I'm not at all suggesting people shouldn't feel whatever they feel or that they should shove it down. It's just that your coping mechanisms many times have to be private. Uh, A chat with a girlfriend, a walk around the block, you know, a cry in the bathroom, whatever. But when you are confronting the situation, when you're dealing with it, you have to have conviction, confidence, and you have to speak in, in in a clear way about what you're trying to communicate, even if you're faking those things. It's interesting. Somebody wants... We were talking about crying in the workplace, and she pointed out that that men will very often not cry in the workplace, but they will get incredibly angry. And right. she's like, anger is it's just emotion coming out in a different way. And I remember you actually had a great story about a guy losing it in your office and, and how you reacted. I think herbal tea was involved. Oh, yes. I think I have so many people drinking tea now. There, he was my boss. And he would come in and throw phones and kick desks and curse And I loved my job. And I was like, this guy is not stealing my joy. So I would come in on a Monday morning with my fresh flowers on my desk. And one day he came in and he was ranting, just yelling, going crazy. And I fixed myself a cup of hot mint tea. And the louder he got, the more I sat back in that chair and, you know, took a whiff of that tea and then took a sip. And he looked at me like a toddler throwing a tantrum, like, don't you see me kicking and screaming? And it completely changed the power dynamic because he wanted a reaction out of me and he wasn't getting it. And so now I tell people all the time, whether it's a cup of tea or whatever it is, the more upset someone get, gets, the calmer you should become. And in that way, you change the dynamic of what's happening in the room. You can even say to people, including your boss, listen, clearly you need to you know, gather yourself. I'm going to give you a minute and I'll come back. We will be back in a moment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. That same irascible boss who screamed and swore in Dana's office that time, he asked her to work on a big breaking story once, just as she was about to fly off to be with her mother, who was going to have a biopsy. He knew she had that trip planned. Dana said no, and he was okay with that. She says she'd put in years at the paper by then. He knew she'd worked 37 days straight during another huge story. She says doing her time has given her some leeway in more ways than one. I was once painting my nails in the in the newsroom at the New York Times in my office, and a 20-something-year-old woman reporter came in, and she looked beside herself that I was doing this, like, oh, my God, how could you do this? And I, and I looked at her and I said, well, you can't. You have a good 20 years before you can be seen with a bottle of nail polish. But I have worked through hurricanes. I covered a space shuttle explosion. You know, I covered the presidential recount, murder cases, you name it, you know, and I've been an editor. They know what I do and how long I've been doing this. So if I need to touch up my nails, I'm going to do that. I would have never done that in my 20s and 30s. Just a fun little funny thing. The, the, the more experience you have and the more, you know, you know people over years that you work with and you get to know each other, they get to know you as a person and little quirks about your personality. And in the newsroom, I was known as the girly girl. That's fine because they also knew that came after 20 years of delivering. And she says to help her deliver, she often had mentors along the way and sponsors, those people who put their reputations on the line by recommending you for various projects. But she says, as an employee, you have to earn that. You know, people used to walk into my office and say, will you mentor me? And I thought, well, why do you want me to mentor you? And the answer was because I could do something for them, right? But I, I chose to mentor only the people that I saw were actually doing the work, could use the guidance, um, not because they saw me as a stepping stone to get just to something else. People who would come in and say, hey, could you read the rough draft of my story? and tell me what you think, how can I make this better? That would get my attention more than someone who came in my office and said, will you mentor me? Hmm. Which I think is quite, not everyone necessarily understands, right? Because a lot of people, that they're told that they need a mentor and they start looking around and and asking people. But someone can become your mentor without you saying, will you mentor me? Um, Just going in and asking about the work or saying, how did you get to where you are? Uh, you know, or listen, I made a mistake. What would you have done differently? Can I ask your advice? That's to the to the extent that that person that you're asking those things of is receptive. They're becoming your mentor without you ever asking. The people I considered my mentors throughout my career, I don't think I ever said, "Will you be my mentor?" They just were. They just were. One skill she picked up along the way, largely on her own, negotiation. This is a bit of a teaser for the next show, but Dana is adamant that we should do it. Whenever someone offers you a job and they put their, the compensation package in front of you, they never expect for you to take it. You're, they, they always expect that that's the start of a negotiation. So ask for 25%, at least 25% more than you than they offer you. And if you end up with 10% more, you're still ahead of the game. On occasion, they won't budge and you'll end up taking the package and that's fine. But push, that's one of the things that I think women um, and people of color, they're so grateful to have these jobs that the inclination is just to take what's offered. No, don't do that. Push for more. And when did you start doing that? Mm. No, 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 no. And then what happens is you find out people are making more money than you and that motivates you to do it. I'd say in the last 10 years, I became better at it. But you can't expect that the answer is going to be yes. And you can't be offended if, 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 you know, it doesn't work out in terms of getting more compensation. 
but I'd say more than half the time you will get what you ask for or some, you know, something better than what was initially put on the table. Like more vacation time or the ability to work from home some days, we will talk much more about this in the next show. Dana's been a single parent for 12 years now, and in her case, that means being prepared for emergencies, really prepared. It also means not letting on at work when things go wrong at home. You touched on this this idea of, which can be controversial, how much do women talk about their families and their kids mm-hmm. at work? Mm-hmm. And I think you said that, I mean, you, you talked about the, the backup. You have layers of backup, yes. right? So there are different, there are different, when you say talk about uh, their family and their kids, it depends on how you're talking about them. If somebody's talking about their lack of daycare or the nanny didn't show up or this kind of thing, that's one thing. But if you're saying, hey, look at my kid's, you know, picture or birthday party, that's something else. There's nothing wrong with sharing who we are. And we shouldn't hide that we're human beings and we have lives, Right. If you were going skydiving, you'd show those pictures off. So why not show that you spent the weekend at your kid's football game, you know, or or what have you. But it's different when you're talking about um, the logistics of managing being a working parent. And I think this is true whether you're a man or a woman. Unfortunately, it mostly falls to women, I, I believe. But I never wanted to give my employer an excuse to discount me. And so the things I didn't talk about ever were if my nanny was late or or didn't show up, or I had some childcare issue. One of the things I did, and I could afford to do this, a lot of women couldn't, was to have a backup nanny. So I had a primary nanny, then he had a, a backup nanny if the primary nanny couldn't be there. Because I felt like I didn't want a group of senior people to be in a room without me whispering that, you know, we'd love to give her that promotion, but she's always having childcare issues or her work habits are inconsistent. So you have an obligation, I believe, to take care of all that to make sure that when you are there, you are present as an employee. Now, the employer has an obligation, I think, to make sure that people that there are reasonable accommodations for working parents, maternity and paternity leave and what have you. But when you're there to work, your time is theirs. That's what they're paying you for, and I believe in that. What does your son think of what you do? He thinks it's pretty cool. He he really does. But he used to love the New York Times, too. He was sort of the newsroom mascot. He'd run around. He knew which offices had candy, which offices had toys. Um, he's he's proud. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think even if his father had lived, I think um, I still would have worked this hard because I think it's important, first of all, for me to have my own identity. And I have, I feel like I have a calling and a purpose in the work that I do. But I also think it's good for a boy to see his mother go to work. It's good for him to learn a work ethic for me. He's seen me go to work when I have the flu. You know, he has seen me, unfortunately, miss a few of his basketball games. I go to as many as I can. He's seen me come home exhausted, like so exhausted I just drop my bag at the door and, you know, fall on the couch. Um, I think that's good. It teaches him about work ethic. We also have balance, though. We take some cool vacations. We laugh a lot. But I do think that he is going, it's not going to be unusual to Jordan, my son, uh, for a woman to be in a position of authority um, when he's in the workforce because he will have seen that his whole life. Yeah, it's interesting because I was reading, I was reading one, of the, one of the notes that your fiancé left for his son and he, he talked about being, being a good man and he did talk about being a provider. He did. Yeah, yes, and, yes. And, and of course you are the provider. And you, but you would have been a joint provider anyway. Yes, so we... We, our plan was to do this together, obviously. 
And I, you know, because his father died in combat, you know, a portion of, a good portion of Jordan's college will be paid for. And I tell him, your father's still taking care of you. He's still contributing. I don't mind being the, the primary provider. That, that's okay. It's an honor. And, and he, he took care of us uh, um, in the ways that he could. And whether it's providing for my son financially for his needs or providing for him emotionally and mentally, I was going to do that anyway. I'm his mother, and I'm a, very much a mama bear. I love him to death. He's, he's the best part of my life. So it's an honor to take care of him. I wouldn't have it any other way. Finally, one thing I took away when I first heard Dana speak was how much she enjoys mentoring and generally encouraging young women just starting out. There's a news literacy program, and I invited a school of girls in for the Pulitzer announcement last week. And before that, I did a Skype session with, a, with thousands of students from across the country just to tell them the kinds of things we've been discussing. And these were young students. They were already interested in journalism, but I wanted them to know I'm accessible. I'm no different from you. I started out in the same place where you were, and so you can do it. That cost me nothing and gave me great joy. And hopefully, God willing, I was able to reach someone who maybe got more confidence because of that or during a difficult period later in their career, they'll remember that I said something. If it touched somebody, that would mean a lot to me. Why not help each other out? Yeah, you said that was one of the most meaningful things to you now. Oh my gosh, I've done it my whole career, or at least, you know, in the last 20-something years. You know, before that, I was just figuring out where the bathroom was and what I was supposed to be doing every day. But I think it's important. It really is. And, And believe me, when you extend yourself to people, you get more out of it than they do. Dana Kennedy. She heads up the Pulitzer Prizes, and she's the author of A Journal for Jordan, an adaptation of which will be coming to a movie theatre near you sometime in the next couple of years. That's the broad experience for this time. As ever, I would love to hear from you. You can find me at ashley at thebroadexperience.com or tweet me or you can find me via the show's Facebook page. I will be posting show notes and a transcript of this episode at thebroadexperience.com. Thanks so much to those of you who sustain this show with a monthly donation. I am really grateful for your ongoing contributions. And thanks to those of you who've given a one-off donation as well. If you can donate as much as $50, either at one time or over time, I will send you the official Broad Experience t-shirt, Ladies Cut. Details at the support tab on the website. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.